Yeah, the laughing I think man. that's an actual film noir film. Do you have to say film after film noir? I don't think you do. Do you say it sense. after or before? I think I think you would say a noir film. That's Brooke Strauss, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> We're having an interview with him. to do the whole like greetings citizens of earth you've already started. i'm dan <laughs> and i'm eric welcome to accelerative thrust where we discuss and review underground experimental and extreme music and we also <clears throat> interview brooks strauss yes so, welcome listeners and welcome brooks yeah thank yeah. you yeah cool welcome yeah. to you guys too oh thanks <laughs> yeah <laughs> well thank you very much brooks for welcoming us to our to you Wow. And coming over to uh, Eric's house and watching me through video and watching us glitch. Yeah, we, we had a glitch uh, experience just recently. A glitch experience, it's called. Glitch experience. Yes. yes. Wow. <sighs> We've already entered the, the realm of bullshit. Well, my pleasure. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. The realm. Awesome. Yeah. So... Do you want me to sort of talk about Brooks or do you like kind of an intro or do does Brooks want to do the <laughs> his yeah, own? Hey. All right. Um, so I, I, I'll give my perspective. Okay. Brooks Strauss is a singer, songwriter, been in the game. That's what we call it here in the game uh, for a long time. Mm-hmm. From Muscatine, Iowa, originally has lived various places, but has been in Iowa City for a long time. He's been in a lot of bands, which we'll get into probably more in depth, but uh, mostly at this point, I think sort of a solo thing, right? But yeah, a few current projects going now. Anyway, none of this matters. He's Brooke Strauss. He's an amazing songwriter and musician and singer, and he's with us now. So, well, uh, would you like me to give my perspective on Brooke Strauss? Sure. So my perspective on Brooke Strauss is he's everything literally that you just said, Eric. But he's also a childhood friend of mine. Oh, from I don't know when did we meet? Like sixth grade or something, Brooks? Yeah, I'm sure it was somewhere around there. It was like in in middle school. school. Nice. So that's my perspective on Brooks Strauss. Oh, and comic book artist, artist, comic book artist. Yes, absolutely. And just overall a creative. Oh, that's yeah. That's what the the kids call being an artist now, right? Being, they uh, call creative. creatives. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Dan, do you want to ask a question first or you want me to ask Brooks a question first? Well, sure. Actually, um, this is a question that I didn't write down that I Ooh. just thought of. And since we didn't really uh, talk about our bullshit during the uh, intro, like we usually mm-hmm. do, Eric, mm-hmm. this is just a, pro- uh, a question that I have about actually just uh, modern day music. We'll start it off now. Hmm. Um, and I'll just ask this question to Brooks and then we can all answer this, I guess, and have a conversation. So do you guys think that albums are dead or is that just oh, bullshit? Oh, good one. <clears throat> what do you think, B? I mean, I think it's irrelevant. Hmm. I think that a lot of young people or live people living a certain kind of life are into just songs and it like deals with a lot of the attention span stuff that everyone deals with you know the changing of required attention span uh in our new world so you can dig into that if you want there's you know as long as there are people who are alive who experience like the album period of time uh because you know albums weren't really a thing before the 50s or whatever right uh so you've got that time period of that through you know 10 years ago or something uh right of that was the primary way that people were thinking about music 
and uh, people from that time period are going to be thinking about music that way. They're going to expect mm. people to be putting out albums. They're going to listen to them that way uh, if they still have the attention span for it. Yeah. So I don't know. That's why I keep putting out albums. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was just a subject that I kind of uh, ran across. I think I was reading an article or something hmm. and they were kind of what they were trying to basically, they were trying to compare the air, the digital era of like Spotify and um, whatever Bandcamp and all this stuff to like the period you just referenced uh, Brooks hmm. about like before the fifties when it was just singles being put out and stuff like that. And that we might be kind of going back to that time only in like a digital way. I don't know if that's true or whatever. Well, it wasn't that long before that where there wasn't recorded music anyway. Yeah, that's true. So it's like, you're not really talking about anything very permanent. So Mm -hmm. I think it's, Mm -hmm. I think we all just have to roll with it, whatever happens. Yeah. Yeah. My opinion is that it sucks. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It does. Yeah, I, I will say though that um, when you have a, a a thing where you have to, well, don't have to, but you review albums, it makes it kind of hard sometimes when you really like an artist and there's not that like one thing to latch on to. It's like a series of singles. But I also think like if they all came out near the same time, you could almost just think of them as a release. You know what I mean? But it's hard to it's hard to tell people that succinctly like, oh, listen to these 10 singles to get an mm-hmm. idea. Or, you know what I mean? Like it, an album makes it a convenient sort of um, uh, package. Yeah, for yeah. sure. You know, uh, where I stand on it is I like to meet it in the middle. I like EPs. Hmm. Oh yeah, EPs. I, I like uh, fourteen-minute albums. That's the way to do it. Uh, yeah, there you go. Or that's basically what <laughs> EPs have become lately. Yeah. Well, we especially in the rap home. world. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, play like that, that boy Zay. That was only yeah. sixteen minutes long. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. Play that boy Zay EP that we reviewed. I wonder mm-hmm. if he considers it a full project. Um, I think it's hey, called Brooks. an album. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, yeah, probably. Do you consider On Vacation an EP or a full album, or does it matter to you? Uh, I think it's an EP. Okay. I haven't done a lot of EPs, but after I finished that one, uh, it was so easy to listen to. Mm-hmm. Like, 20 minutes is way less of a commitment than 45 minutes or an hour, which is right. all of my full lengths. Mm-hmm. So, yep. if you... I don't know. I just, I found myself putting it on more because it was like, I can do this while I'm, you know, driving across town and back, or I can, you know, there's so many things that you can do. I'm going to do this while I prepare dinner or whatever. It's appealed to me a lot. So I think I probably will be doing more EPs in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was just talking to Eric that I kind of went through uh, most of your, uh, discography to kind of prepare for this interview and um i that's one thing that i really really enjoyed about on vacation is that it just kind of it flowed really well and it was kind of over within like 20 minutes but then at the same time probably my favorite release uh that i found in your discography um is benjamin which i hadn't really committed to listening to previously i always liked acid casual and my foreign right hand and uh, misanthrope and stuff like that. So another question that I had for you actually is, um, and I could be maybe misinterpreting this a little bit, but it seems to me like you have some songs and albums that are more collaborative with other musicians. And then you have a, a lot of other things that is pretty much just you with the guitar. Do you write differently in each of those situations? Meaning, I guess, is there like when you are planning on, say, recording a song or an album with like a band or musicians backing you in the studio, do the songs kind of come spontaneously or change when the other musicians get involved? Or do you already kind of have like 
your your plan of how the songs are going to kind of go and you just sort of tell the musicians like okay this is what you know i want you to play this is what i wrote or you know whatever is there different ways of how you kind of form songs in the studio that way i i usually have people uh write their own parts uh oh with maybe some kind of loose direction if i have any uh if they're willing to do that uh mm -hmm. it's kind of just if you know, I've worked with people who are more performers than creative people. And mm -hmm. they're like, well, what do you want me to play? I'm like, play whatever you want. And they're like, I don't know how to play whatever I want. Like, <laughs> tell me what to play. And so then those are usually the times when I end up doing something like that. But um, as far as the writing process, like, I write most of my songs, like, by myself. And whether they're with somebody with like other musicians or not is kind of determined by what kind of song I just wrote. Sure. So it's like, I can tell it, you know, if I write a song, I want drums on this, like keys would sound good. Like some of the stuff that I don't usually play myself. If I know I want those things on there, then I just start planning it as something that I'm going to be recording with other musicians. That's cool. I think that comes in through the recordings too. Like, you know, like songs on Benjamin, for example, I can definitely tell that like, you know, whoever's playing those parts are kind of bringing their own sort of style and flavor to it. That was a you really know? fun one. Cause I did it with just my brother and my friend, Brad. Sure. And yeah. like, we all kind of took different roles. They're both great drummers that I really love. They both are great keyboard players. Uh, who I love to hear play keys. Um, Brad's one of my favorite guitar players. So just being able to see, like, I think I played all the bass parts on it, but everything else is like whoever I felt like would bring the best thing to that particular song. So like we split up keyboard parts equally, like I split drum parts equally between Landon and Brad. So sure, that was really fun. It was a really neat process that way. Yeah, it definitely sounded like it would it would have been a fun record. And I also hear Landon's, uh, you know, now you know now that you mention it, um, I definitely hear Landon's influence on that a little hmm. bit too. So that's really cool. So sort of along the same lines, uh, when you are writing for a band that you're playing with, like Spectral Snake, or I really can't think of any other ones offhand. Um, <laughs> Old Scratch Revival. <laughs> um, when you're writing, do you fill the spaces? of that song playing them out or do you purposely leave them open or is it not really a consideration so i think with old scratch stuff because it was always i mean it was an evolving band mm -hmm. we just knew what it was going to sound like in general right. and everybody is in control of their own work mm -hmm. so you write a song that would make a good old scratch song and it's like okay everybody can just play their stuff mm -hmm. on here as far as like the recording process there's so much more to it than that. Right. And for me, that process was usually like, okay, this is the list of 30 instruments that I want on this song. These are the ones that I can play. How do I find the people who can play these other right. things? Or do we already have somebody in the band that plays these mm -hmm. things? And I don't know, sometimes like writing arrangements for like, you know, for horn players mm -hmm. or for string players or something, that's part of sort of the pre-production process sure. or something between the writing process and the recording process, but. Right. Yeah. It's a multifaceted sort of songwriting situation because you are also arranging. Mm -hmm. So it's not just chords and melody or whatever and right. words, which obviously are pretty important to songs, but um, not the entire thing. So <laughs> yeah, that's cool. How about in Spectral Snake? Um, since the writing process is collaborative, like me and Angie split mm -hmm. songwriting in it and write a lot of the stuff together and are always kind of like bouncing stuff off of each other as we're writing. Like they kind of form in a different way and then it's just like reflect on this song and see what, uh, you know, like which of Angie's instruments that she plays are going to be good on this. Mm -hmm on this song and like which of the things I play are going to be good on this song. And like, do I have an idea for what kind of bass I want on it? Uh, and 
can I play that bass or do I want to play that bass? And like, if I don't have an idea for it, it's like, can I send this to Eric? Can I mm-hmm. send this mm-hmm. to somebody, you know, who's bass, bass player? Your second choice. I, like. <laughs> <laughs> I think Dan had some questions about that specific element too, like working with Angie on Spectral Snake. I guess, is there like a prominent difference between writing with Angela and Spectral Snake and you writing your solo material, hmm. you know? And I, I guess that pretty much just comes yeah, into it. pretty much. <laughs> yeah. There are some differences. And there are some songs, you know, where I just wrote it all at once and was like, do you like this, Angie? And she's like, yeah. And mm-hmm. then it's, you know, there's not a, really a difference in process there mm-hmm. gotcha. than, than my song, uh, solo songs. So when you write down a list of 30 instruments... Have you ever successfully tracked down 30 different musicians to come in the studio at once? Not at all. <laughs> no, not <laughs> No, I do pretty much everything piece by piece. I right, right, right. very rarely record multiple people at the same time. So, Brooks, how's uh, the comic book thing been going? I know I've uh, been seeing uh, some stuff. I guess it's been a little while, but I know you were doing some Instagram comics. And stuff yeah, like that. I've been really enjoying illustration and comic storytelling and stuff. It was mm-hmm. something that I did a lot of in high school and hadn't done any of since. And then when I didn't have any shows on the calendar, uh, when the pandemic hit, it felt like a really good time to like dig back into something that I had abandoned for a long time, decades. Sure. Yeah, it's. I noticed that when the pandemic hit, I think it kind of brought a lot of uh, independent comic creators out of their shell because I noticed that at that time, more than any uh, on Instagram, all of a sudden uh, it was flooded with comic book artists who were selling their work. And so I've actually been just, um, it's kind of like rediscovering, uh, of course, you and I both kind of got into comics uh, you know, around the image, you know, the image boom of like the nineties. And it's yeah. it's kind of been cool. I've been sort of rediscovering a lot of like indie comics creators lately. And it kind of feels like that only I'm like in my early forties now. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's really interesting. I think that that's kind of brought a lot of that out. And so is there any uh, connection at all between like your music and comic books? Does one inspire the other or, is it just sort of uh, two separate things that you do? I think only in the the writing of words. Mm-hmm. I think that's where things kind of overlap, and I'm able to use skills, like the same kinds of skills for both things. Um, cool. I think visually, there's not, like, it kind of felt like starting from the ground up when I started sure. making, like, doing a lot more visual art. Uh, yeah. But like the writing process, you know, a lot of the Spectral Snake songs are like kind of story songs or something. So like getting into storytelling and like, you know, coming up with fictional situations and dialogue and stuff like that, uh, I think was informed by um, songwriting that I had been working on previous to that. But the visual stuff feels new and just that freshness really felt good uh i didn't i hadn't realized like how burnt out on music i was until Mm -hmm. my calendar was clear and i wasn't i like didn't have to pick up the guitar for any reason yeah and i just sat back and i was oh shit i was so burned out this feels new and like i need to do some new things and like feel a lot of the feelings that i felt when I was young that like drew me so deeply into music mm-hmm. and I've gotten a lot of that from making visual art. Yeah. Now, when you say uh, you're kind of comparing <clears throat> the, the dialogue and, you know, the writing of the words, would you say that um, the stories with your comic projects um, share any common themes with say like spectral snakes, lyrics and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, especially like that that Instagram comic that I was working on 
pretty hard for, you know, quite a while. Taps into a lot of stuff that I talk about in songs. And like, I think there are similar vibes. But it's also like a good, like, I don't have any interest in writing songs about like fighting monsters. Mm-hmm. But I do have interest in drawing comics about fighting monsters. Oh, you know? sure. Sure. So like, it's just stuff that feels appropriate for a different outlet, you know? Yeah. I would love to hear some songs about you fighting monsters, (laughs) though, just for the record. I mean, if you put them out, I would love them. Just uh, say that. You could uh, put out an album, uh, the entire thing's titled For Eric. It'll all be about you fighting monsters. I think they all have that dedication somewhere in the credits. (laughs) All of Rex's records. Thank you, Eric. Yeah. So do you, are there any um, comic book artists or comic book titles that you've been delving into since kind of rediscovering this love for comic books? Like new monthly stuff that I read is pretty much all just like X-Men stuff. For the last oh, okay. few years, I've been reading all the X-Men stuff. I don't remember when it was, 2019 or something that Jonathan Hickman like kind of took over the X titles mm-hmm. and... I read an article about that and knew his work a little bit from some other stuff and was like, yeah. that sounds like it's going to be pretty good. And I've just been following those since. So I like that stuff a lot. And then I don't know. I read a lot of like older comics and sure. you know, a lot of just the big, like legendary works are super inspiring to me. I was recently reading Akira and it's, super good really like a fast and like super rewarding read yeah fantastic stuff not to change the topic completely but i will um (laughs) is is there any like newer music and i don't necessarily mean like new music but like what you're into now have you been listening to much music lately not a whole lot um i've been kind of listening to like fugazi and sonic youth as like Mm. my recent like go-tos uh which is stuff i was really into in high school and haven't listened to a lot since so that's been like pretty fun is there any particular albums that you're really into so what have i listened to recently i listened to red medicine which is like that was the one that i listened to the most i think in high school Mm -hmm. yep uh and it was really fun and you know I I have so much more context for things now. So it's like the yeah. listening experience is totally different yep, than it absolutely. was then. And like that's really fun, uh, mm-hmm. especially with stuff where, you know, there's like a little voice in the back of your head, like kind of singing along and being like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that part. And like yeah. the whole like front, like present part of your mind is like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, I see what they're doing there. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, because I've been kind of going back and rediscovering a bunch of bands, you know, when I was in high school. And Fagazi definitely falls in that camp a little bit. And uh, the one record that I've really been into for some reason is End Hits. Love that record for some reason. I mean, I like all of them. They're all so good. Yeah. I need to get into Fagazi. I've been meaning to for about 30 years. (laughs) Well, there's... I just haven't really committed. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. That's another thing that's been happening is um, Eric and I have had conversations about this on the podcast, actually, is we've been, um, well, I don't know about you, Eric, but I know that I've been getting into bands that I'm like, geez, why wasn't I into this band when Mm -hmm. I was like 16? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is awesome. Well, you know, what was I waiting for? You know, stuff like that. That's been happening. Somebody sent me an NRBQ song the other day. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I love this. I've been meaning to get into these guys for like a really long time. I think I've read like a whole bunch of articles about them and just never listened to them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one band I haven't, I've definitely heard their name being thrown around. Do Me and the Boys, is that a song by them? I don't know. I feel like it is. And I would only know that from the movie Shakes the Clown, which if you haven't seen Shakes the Clown, everyone, you probably should because... It's terrible. Yeah, you were telling me about that at least a couple episodes back. Shakes the clown. Again, it's something I try to bring up every, every uh, 
every Dave? conversation that I have, actually. It's like, oh. this has been nice and all, but have you seen Shakes the Clown? I'm like a, yeah. a missionary for it. <laughs> oh, Eric, do you have any questions for Brooke? Yeah, sure. Sure I do. Um, So, back. We're going in the way back machine. Here we go. What was your start in music? I can't remember. <laughs> no, I think the very first thing I did was making music with Dan. Wow. Mm, yeah. That probably would have been true. So I think maybe the maybe the very first thing, mm -hmm. I'm not sure. One of the first things for sure is my dad had a guitar mm -hmm. sitting in his closet and I always knew it was there. And I'd look at it sometimes, be like, that's a guitar. That's cool. And I kind of started getting into music. And one day I took it out and I just sat it on my lap and started like hitting one string at a time with one finger and uh, writing songs. Nice. And like I wrote a few songs that way. And it was probably right around the time when dan had started playing guitar and like yeah and i got a guitar of my own shortly after that yeah i do remember i don't remember what it was called brooks but we had this thing i think you had like some sort of karaoke thing with a cassette player that oh, you were yeah. able to record mm -hmm. That's and how uh, i recorded all my stuff for the first few years of yeah playing. cool and i think it was just i think we would just sit in your garage and i would play guitar and you would sing miser just did these songs was that what it was called was miser mm -hmm. and uh i do remember there was a song that we had called psychedelic mm -hmm. do you remember that yeah bad music yeah it's it like literally like i played four out of the the probably the most out of tuned guitar mm -hmm. you've probably ever heard and then i remember the lyrics were psychedelic sucks goats ducks Wow. Is that accurate, Brooks? Yeah, that is accurate. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I remember all of my my first lyrics fit on like a little tiny piece of paper, like written really big on it. Like there were only like <laughs> between four and 10 words to like the yeah. first 20 songs I wrote or something. Yeah. Nice. I mean, that would, that would have been around the time that we were probably just starting to get into like Nirvana. And, hmm. Yeah. smashing pumpkins and stuff like that yeah. maybe even uh, i'm sure green day was probably around by then too well, and but, something i said to eric the other day yeah. is when i first started writing lyrics i had been listening to like nirvana and smashing pumpkins and sonic youth and all this stuff and i was like oh none of this shit makes any sense <laughs> this is all just nonsense like they just put a bunch of words together that don't make any sense together that's how you write words and yeah. so for like years, I was just like, okay, that's how you write words to songs. It's like, it doesn't mean anything at all. And there's mm -hmm. no way to get any meaning out of it. <laughs> yeah. Completely meaningless bullshit. Yeah. And it's, it's okay. Like if mm -hmm. the music is good and there's like good sounds happening, mm -hmm. that, that can be listenable. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it just makes something not great worse you know, which mm -hmm. is unfortunate, but I I try to put meaning in my songs now for the last couple decades. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an honorable pursuit. I haven't gone there, but well, <laughs> that's okay. It takes all kinds, right? <laughs> so after you and Dan got together, like what was the next step, like starting a, a band or was so your brother into music at the time? The same time I got my guitar, Landon got a drum set. So we would play at the house a lot. When I got to high school, I met Grant Jackson mm -hmm. and he had a guitar. And it's like, oh, we, we both play guitars. And then it was just about anybody we knew that had instruments that could be plugged in, like trying to play music, you know, in the garage or whatever, as, as much as we could. It's like, oh, do you know how to play? Any uh, Rage Against Machine songs? Yeah. Will you show yep. me? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So you had a few bands during that time then or 
just kind of rotating thing. So it was, it was mostly septic, mm-hmm. my high school band. You were in that for the first I, part, I think. I was and... in it for a little bit, and um, hmm. rightly so. You guys kicked me out, but you got a way better bass player, and that was Bill Mooney. <laughs> that, was pro- I, that was probably the prompt. I, I, like, I recognize oh, this guy's it. a really good bass player. I totally recognize it now, but at the time, I was, like, pissed. But, you know, that's 16 years old. You know I was I mean? really, like, all about – dick moves when i was in high school yeah like talking about the dick moves (laughs) i mean high school and for many years after i guess but it was just like you know you know what we all were brooks do you remember (laughs) when uh the internet uh before you know social media and all that stuff i remember yeah remember the internet yeah you remember the internet Do you remember when there were those message boards where you could just like make like an anonymous bullshit name or whatever? Oh yeah, for sure. And uh, there was like one about the Muscatine scene and I'll just reveal this to you now. Oh shit. Uh, This is pretty funny, but do you remember when there was like some guy with an anonymous name that kept shit talking septic? Oh man. Do you want to know who that was? Was it you? (laughs) No, not at all. I think it was Eric. I didn't listen to Septic. You did. There was a show at yeah. Gabe's. And I did. I really was impressed by your voice. I remember it was like, I didn't quite even know how you were doing it. Yeah. I remember you telling me when you sing, it sounds like two people singing. Yeah, it did. Yeah. And it was, was a really yeah. nice compliment. So after the garage, then see, this is why I earlier I was like, it's, solo artist or solo work is sort of a funny nomenclature because it implies that you were part of something else and you branched out or broke off or something, but you were doing your own stuff way early. Yeah. I mean, I think at the very beginning I started doing solo stuff. Septic started as Mm -hmm. a solo project. Hmm. I made like 20 full length albums or something in my bedroom that nobody ever heard. There was super cool. I remember that. Yeah, one. that was one of the only ones that got released. Mm-hmm. Uh, re- released. <laughs> yeah. You know, people heard it. <laughs> yeah. I gave it to 12 people or something is what that means. But but yeah, like my first solo show, I think, was at the old Y. And then I don't think I played solo very much hmm. other than that, like in Muscatine. But then, I don't know, like after after high school when I started going to Marshalltown and Waverly and like, you know, all the, the punk rock meccas in, mm-hmm. in Iowa, going to like Screamo shows in Des Moines and stuff, I would play solo shows at some of those. And it was kind of just like if, because my band after high school was Marvin's Hour of Power, which mm-hmm. was a like pop punk band and like... You know, if we couldn't do a show, I would just play like a solo set there. Nice. But that sort of directly led to you working with people that you would be in another band with. Yeah, I met Ben Driscoll, I think, at one of those shows or something. Like the girlfriend of one of the guys in Marvin's Hour of Power was like, I've got this friend from my hometown, Ben Driscoll. You should meet him. And I met him and like we played each other some songs and it was like, oh, shit, like this is somebody doing what I do. And it was the first time either one of us had like really met somebody, mm-hmm. you know, who would write songs on a, on an acoustic guitar and be able to sing them and stuff, you know, that was just like a different thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, we started a project together that started as just the two of us recording stuff, like at each other's homes and stuff. And then after our CD came out or like before our CD came out, I guess. Uh, Cause I think there's credits for the first live band in, mm-hmm. in the original mm-hmm. CD, but we put together a live band and mm-hmm. started playing some of those songs. And then when we heard that Eric Whitaker wanted to play bass for us, <laughs> we kicked our bass player. <laughs> that is, <not laughs> that is absolutely not how it worked out. It is how it worked out, but that's not how it <laughs> happened. No, I saw the heart attacks, uh, John the Punk's 40th birthday party, 
and uh, our friend Jason Salick and I went to that and I had never heard him and I didn't really know the people in the band. I knew Brooks, but um, so yeah, no, I saw him play and I, I told Jason on the way home, I was like, I'm going to play in that band somehow, some way. And then not much later, I don't know, Jason was on the phone, I guess, with probably Brooks and was like, the bass player just quit or whatever. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be in the band then or something like that. That's how I remember it. I don't know. No, I think it was like Eric wants wants to play something. Well, I'm sorry. I had no idea. Well, it worked out. It's fun. I mean, it's bad. It's like a, it's back uh, to that like dick moves kind of time period, you know? It was just like, oh, can we get somebody different that we want for some other reason? Okay. You know what I just realized? All your dick moves are against bass players. You it's hate true. bass players. <laughs> it's true. And I became a bass player because of how much I hate them. <laughs> There's only one way to get rid of all these bass players. So I have to do it my goddamn self. <laughs> all right. So after I caused the big breakup, and then it was the heart attacks. Yeah. Yeah. That was the first tour, 2003, mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Yeah. And nothing really to talk about. It went perfect, smoothly. <laughs> uh, everyone got along really. I don't have any stories from this Super successful <laughs> shows. Um, we all had like enough money and support to we all came home with thousands of dollars yeah i mean it was it was the beginning of the beginning right? yeah it was like oh shit we could probably be millionaires if we keep this up that's how it was and since we just had such a great time i think we were kind of like maybe we should have a different band (laughs) so did the heart attacks like did it actually did that directly evolve into old scratch revival? So the real story is that we went on that tour. All four of the people in the band had a really bad time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Two days before the end of tour, we were in Dallas, Texas, and we were supposed to have a day off after Dallas and then play some show in Columbia, Missouri, I think somewhere mm. in Missouri. And the Dallas show was horrible and just the experience of killing time in Dallas was horrible. And I was legit losing my mind. And I like went and talked to Ben and I was like, Ben, I'm quitting this band. I have to quit. And he's like, okay. And then I went and told Eric, I just quit the band. And Eric's eyes lit up. <laughs> he's like, really? I was like, yeah, it feels really good. He's like, I'm going to quit the band too. Yeah, I'm going to try that. <laughs> we should tell Nick. And so we went up and the two of us told Nick that we had just quit the band. Mm-hmm. And Nick was like, that's a pretty good idea. <laughs> so you so, all three quit the band. We all quit the band, uh, decided not to play the last show and just to drive home. Yeah. It was like a 12 hour drive. It was a really long drive getting home. (laughs) He had a second wing of the tour booked going out east and didn't do it. So Ben went on that half of the tour by himself, I think, or maybe had like a couple other people filling in. So I don't don't know exactly Mm -hmm. what happened there, but that was kind of the process of Ben starting All Rattle and Dust. But I think the day after you guys got back, Eric was trying to think of like what to do next. He picked one of my heart attack songs and started a new band. With uh, Brooks's song. Yeah. But uh, oh, wow. And was like, Nick, do you want to start this new band yeah. and play this song? Recorded one of my heart attack songs that we had stopped playing, showed me. I was like, this is awesome. This sounds great. And then he was like, do you want to play banjo? So I became the banjo player. Like mm. in like the first week, you know, yeah. of the band existing. Yeah. I think we had basically like Sing My Funeral Song from Brooks and I had a song called Patience of Job. And I think those were sort of like the parameters that we were yeah, I trying think the to. The door was pretty early yeah. to you. Yeah. So it was almost, it was seamless. It was just mm-hmm. like, well, what do we do now? And it was like, well, we'll just do this. And yeah. And, and the heart attacks had already started to go down a sort of, roots rock road anyway and so i think it was just a natural right like ben would like reject a lot of my songs that were like folkier Mm -hmm. songs 
Yeah. And and just for the record, we're not shit talking on Ben right now. We're all good friends and we all work yeah. together. And everyone realizes that was just a different point in time or whatever, you know. Yeah. So but that is how it worked out. So Brooks, uh was it around this time that you came out with your first like proper solo album? I started Messenger? recording it the same okay. time. And it was mostly like it started out being made up of the rejected heart attack songs. Yeah, I started recording that album then and it took a couple years. It took okay. A few years. It came out in two thousand seven and I think it was probably two thousand three when I started it. So were there ever any ideas of like some of those songs turning into old scratch songs eventually? Or were you kind of like, okay, I'm going to do this old scratch thing, but I'm also going to do my solo stuff at the same time. Um, Eric had such a strong aesthetic concept for old scratch. Mm -hmm. It's like, I could tell as soon as I started working on something, whether it was an old scratch song or something I was going to put on my solo record. Yeah. Um, so w when you started performing live as a solo act, was that, were you a little, uh, cause you mentioned that you played like your first show, what was it back in high school? And then you didn't really perform solo since then. So well, oh. it was before that. I, oh, cause, okay. uh, you know, when Marvin's Hour of Power was playing, I would play some solo shows here and there. I always just kind of had a little stable of solo songs that I would do. And then the outlet for that became the heart attacks when I uh, started oh, okay. making music with Ben. So okay, it was sense. kind of just like there was suddenly like a an outlet for those songs mm -hmm. uh, that I had been just treating as solo songs to just kind of have in my back pocket if I needed to play a, a show mm -hmm. by myself. Got you. So uh, did you ever have any, um, was there ever any like nervousness about playing solo from your end or anything? Uh, since, you know, you were kind of used to playing with other people? Not really. I, not really? I kind of, I think I was probably nervous at that very first show when I was in high school and played sure. the, the old Y. I'm, I'm sure I was a little nervous then. I remember the first septic show being very nervous, mm -hmm. but like I didn't have a lot of like stage fright. Yeah. I didn't realize how much social anxiety I had. Like I didn't realize it enough for it to actually affect playing live. I didn't really associate the the emotional uh kind of anxiety stuff with that. It was like, oh, you write songs, yeah. you go and you play in front of people. And after getting over it at the very first show, it was like, yeah, you just go up and you play your songs. Sure. I felt like I was bad at it. I felt like my songs were pretty good, but like I was pretty bad at playing solo mm -hmm. up until not that long ago, mm -hmm. probably like the last 10 years or so. Mm -hmm. I've felt yeah. like I'm pretty competent at playing, playing solo shows. Yeah. But speaking of which, um, I got to see Brooks play the other night and it was awesome. He did music from, I would think, yeah, Wasteland Blues he played. So all the way back from the first solo record. First song on that first record. Yeah, yeah. BS Guarantee, too. Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome to hear everything sort of like compiled. It was like a live collection. It was super sweet. So awesome. is that how you've been approaching solo shows for like the last while? Or are you, do you usually try to focus on the most current stuff it's kind of whatever i feel like mm -hmm. i usually feel like playing newer stuff mm -hmm. and like for the two or three years before benjamin came out i was playing almost exclusively benjamin stuff mm -hmm. at all the shows and i've pretty much only rarely played any of the songs on it since then you know mm -hmm. i mean i guess i have only played a few shows since then because it came out during the pandemic but like the last few shows i've just kind of done what feels right mm -hmm. uh and a lot of it is newer material usually i was just gonna say my favorite track on on vacation is uh as we do i i really really like that one a lot brooks and uh i i won't even really i won't even ask you like or tell you what i think it might 
what the lyrics might mean or whatever. But could you talk about that a little bit? Because I really like the lyrics to that one. It kind of, it sounds like uh, you're sort of like maybe rediscovering a friendship or something, but I don't know. Maybe that's just because that is the word friendship is in the lyrics. So I don't know. I, I just really, really like it. And I also like the way you did your vocals on that. It almost creates this atmospheric, like, I don't know how, maybe you could talk a little bit about that too. Like it almost creates almost a shoegazy effect to the song from my perspective. Like, it's just really, I don't know. I really like that one a lot, Brooks. Cool. Yeah. Uh, well, um, almost the whole record was written while I was on vacation. Like mm -hmm. that's one of the songs that, um, I wrote and recorded in Portland, Oregon during my honeymoon. And we were staying with an old friend of me and Angie's, one of our best friends, and just kind of spending every day with her and her partner who we hadn't spent very much time with before. Mm -hmm. So just like becoming friends with him and and spending like good quality time with our friend Anna who lives out there. And so that song was just a reflection of what we had done that day. I should I should give a little background to why I was recording songs while I was on my honeymoon. <laughs> so in the month of June last year, uh, we made a deal with a couple friends of ours to record something every day and put it in a little folder with our name on it. And mm -hmm. so all, all four of us friends had our own little folder that we were putting songs in every single day. And mm -hmm. so it started out like the rules were like, it can just be like a field recording of you walking around or a neat bird that you saw or something. But then people were doing these like really elaborate, like well-recorded songs and spending like their entire day doing it. And so everybody just started like, oh, like I don't want to, I don't want to look like a clown you know, next to all this <laughs> stuff. Like I better really bring it. And so like everybody wrote just like a bunch of like really good songs. Uh, yeah. And so like I was spending, you know, half of the day processing whatever happened in the other half of the day during that trip and that was kind of where that song came from like we went to this old like bombed out i mean i guess not literally bombed out but like ruins of an old fort that you know you could go through you could walk through all these rooms it all oh, like yeah. it was really echoey and like just like these beautiful structures where you know people were doing a bunch of stuff in there, but all of the stuff had been stripped out. So it was just these rooms and these structures. Mm -hmm. And so we explored around there and like yelled and wow. played. And we went to, went to the water. Like we went to some different places mm -hmm. around Portland and just had a fun time, like laughing with friends. And it's like, that's what I had done you know wow day. so like that's what i wrote about that so these lyrics are literally just about a day that you had with old and new friends like yeah, literally exactly that's <laughs> wow <laughs> so th that's awesome though yeah that um, song every day like practice was really really neat for just like processing the happenings of the day like you never mm -hmm are forced to reflect in that way. I guess people who keep a diary, you know, have the same kind of experience. Right. But because we were having to show it to somebody else, it's like you had to try a lot harder <laughs> than you would probably try yeah. in your diary. You right. Know? <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that- Sorry, that... someone proofreading their diaries really <laughs> a funny concept. <laughs> yeah. No, that's- that's uh, really cool. You clarified that. Cause I don't know, there was something about that song that just kind of like what you were saying in the words, like, I don't know, it clicked. So I guess I just really related to it, you know? So some of that recording is actually from hmm. 
from that day. Uh, I did re-record a lot of the instruments and kind of elaborated on the arrangements, uh, especially on the stuff that I was doing on the road because I only I had a guitar and like yeah. a couple other little things. So a lot of yeah. the a lot of the good sounding engineering happened at home like after i got home and decided i wanted to put it on a record like right i had to go in and replace a lot of stuff where it was like oh this was obviously recorded in a bedroom after everybody was asleep like yeah but that also you know some of that quietness and like gentleness of those songs is because i was like working on stuff into the night after people had gone to bed yeah Mm -hmm nice and i wanted to preserve that so i also just like the idea that you're actually writing about like the name of the record is on vacation and you're actually writing about being on vacation like so that album cover is just like a spontaneous picture taken in a garden on that portland trip Angie was taking a picture and i like reached my hand out to her and she reached her hand out while she was taking the picture but it's, it's very pretty. It looks like some kind of English garden. And mm-hmm. you can clearly see Angie's ring, which is why you were traveling, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's really cool. But Brooks pointed out to me, and I don't know if it got uh, cropped or not, but in the background, there's like moving truck or something. Like it's kind of just off the street, but it really looks like. A oh, ring. yeah, I see it's, it. Um, yeah. I got it pulled up yeah, here. It, it's cool. It's a cool kind of dichotomy in the picture itself. Hmm. Well, Dan, what do you think? What do you, do you have other questions for our guest, Brooks? Um, you know, honestly, I think I've kind of gone through pretty much my list, but no, I was going to ask about maybe some influences and stuff, but you know, if you feel like talking about that, then you can, but yeah, I don't what, know. What uh can you ask anything more specific about yeah, that? Yeah, well, honestly, my real question was the stuff that influenced you to write when you were starting out, have those stayed consistent or they've been replaced or just new influences added? Yeah, I guess the relationship between your early influences versus now, have they stayed the same or changed or or what? So, yeah, there's when I very first started, it's like that stuff we were talking about mm-hmm. of like, oh, it just has to be nonsense. You just string a bunch of words together. And if you like saying them next to each other, that's the song. That lasted, you know, for a few years. And then I started listening to Paul Simon. And then, like, I got into Leonard Cohen and Bright Eyes and Alkaline Trio even, and, like, a bunch of stuff where it was like, oh, this is, like, clever you can actually be like clever and be saying something, make somebody feel something and like impress them with your cleverness. <laughs> this is what I want to do. Like, this is so much better. And I am still trying to be clever. You know? <laughs> like that kind of just stuck. And a lot yeah. of that stuff is still an influence, you mm-hmm. know, like when I got into Bob Dylan, like I was, I don't know, 21 or something, mm-hmm. 20 maybe. And like that's stuck. I kind of, I don't think I've ever like lost that influence. Mm-hmm. Um, I've found more people along the way that kind of like fall into those categories for me, like Randy Newman or mm-hmm. uh, Tom Waits or uh, like later on, like Kate Bush mm-hmm. and Joanna Newsom. But like, that's kind of been the, like at the heart of a lot of what I consider my influences as far as songwriting sounds wise it's been just kind of all over the place Mm -hmm. it's always just like what's coming out of the instruments i'm messing around with and like what is stuff that i've heard before and liked and Mm -hmm. it's kind of all just going into a big churning bucket nice yeah that's cool if you can pull out what i need kind of retain those early influences still though because being able to just write some bullshit is also a very useful tool. Like if you kind of paint yourself into the into a corner with cleverness, you can kind of get out of it with some bullshit and vice versa. You know, like if you have a clever chorus, you can say anything in the verse, you know, I'm like super like, like concerned with craft Mm -hmm. for like the last, 
few years, especially of just like trying to look at every line and say like, I'm going to have to sing this probably five or 10 years from now, maybe longer. Mm -hmm. And like, is this something I'm going to be able to stand behind? Like, Mm -hmm. does this make enough sense? Is this, you know, yeah. Will this stand up to scrutiny? And it's like, that's not a concern you have when you're young, but like sure. definitely has, has been increasingly a concern of my mm-hmm. songwriting wise. Also like getting into more classic stuff and like great American songbook, like mm-hmm. the old like writers who like could say something so eloquently and so simply that's something that I'm like occasionally striving for, like mm-hmm. for the last five to 10 years or something. I'm just like, Oh, can I, can I do that? Can I like make this incredibly beautiful and seem effortless and, you know, feel simple, but like contain everything. Like, is that possible? Mm-hmm. And kind of mm-hmm. always reaching for that. Yeah. So that level of craft that you're striving for, have you ever felt in, impeded by that at all? Have like writer's block or whatever, or like stopping yourself from putting things out because you don't think they're good enough? Um, I kind of know as I'm writing something if it's salvageable or not. And there are songs that don't make it anywhere. I can usually go back to them and figure out how it was salvageable. Mm-hmm like what was wrong with it at the time. And sometimes I'll do that and like fix it, spend maybe like even spend some time, like fixing something Mm -hmm. that I had written most of four or five years ago or something. Yeah. But uh, I think a lot of it is like, there's a solution to it. You know, you just have to put the time into it. And if it's something that's going to take a lot of time, you might have to put that on the back burner mm-hmm. while you take care of this stuff that's coming more easily. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Brooks, do you have a preference um, of playing live versus making records? Just out of curiosity. Oh yeah. I, I really, really like making records mm-hmm. and I usually feel at least a little uncomfortable playing live. Yeah. As I've gotten better at playing live, like I can get into it more and I can, while I'm practicing for something, like mm-hmm. feel excited about the set list I put together, feel excited mm-hmm. about like how my voice is sounding. But a lot of times you get to the show and can't do that thing you were practicing. And then right. it's just like another disappointment on top of feeling mm-hmm. anxious and feeling like, oh, right. I don't know what to say to all these people, <laughs> like all that stuff. So you ever have uh, the same experience also, Brooks, with recording? Like where, I don't know, maybe you did a demo and there's something in that demo that was so awesome. And you're like, I'm going to try and recreate that for the actual recording of the same song. But for some reason, it just doesn't work out and you have to figure out a different way to do it. And it's just, it kind of frustrates you. I don't really get frustrated by that. I get kind of excited by that. It definitely happens. It happens a lot. Uh, Anytime you're demoing things, it's like, I'm losing this. But then it's like, well, how do I gain something else? If I can't make this have the same like magic and feel as it did before, like whatever this instrument is or this part, like I can't capture that. But what can I put in there that's going to like add a different kind of magic that's going to like bring it back up to that level? Mm -hmm. Sure. So it's like problem solving and I don't know. I think it's exciting and fun Yep. Uh, from a production and arrangement standpoint. When it comes to production arrangement and recording and stuff like that, do you, do you feel that it is sort of like, I don't know the right word, an exercise, but like, I'm just going to say the word I'm thinking of, like, like a game. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like when I record stuff, it's very much like a video game. Like I'm, but not a video game, but just like making the sound, adding the effects I want, like getting it to sound like I want. Like, is that sort of like hobby-ish to you? Does that make yeah. any sense? Yeah. And I think, it, you know, there's, there is a lot of craft to it and it's a lot of like, oh, what does this remind me of? 
Like, do I lean into that? Do I make mm-hmm. it sound more like that thing? Or do I make it sound less like that thing? Like which other direction can I take it if I want it to sound less like that? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Uh, oh, like this would sound really cool if like the banjo sounded like it was recorded in a cave. Let's figure out <laughs> yeah. how to do that. Yeah. That sounds adequately cave. Like, <laughs> you know, like just sure, right. like you are playing a game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cave banjo. Cave banjo. Wow. Well, well guys, thanks, for, thanks listening, for listening, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and please contact us. Yeah. And also check out, obviously, check out Brooks uh, as a person, uh, but also his music uh, is all on Bandcamp. Um, he is playing shows. I don't think this is going to air in time for anyone to know about the show in Davenport. But, is that um, the only show you got coming up, Brooks? Yeah, what else you got coming up? Uh, that's that's it for right now. Spectral Snake, what's going on with that? Uh, just sent the artwork off mm-hmm. for the folding. Um, oh, sweet! To the label yesterday, so it should be out fairly soon. Uh, awesome! Uh, nice. Are we gonna get a we're gonna get a vinyl release of that or anything, or is it just gonna be I, digital? We really wanted to do vinyl, but. Uh, I think it's just going to be a tape release. Nice. Awesome. Uh, at least for now, if we get some sort of big funding boost, mm-hmm. I would love to see it on vinyl. But Is there a nice. time frame that we can kind of expect that? Um, I'm not sure. Okay. However long the pressing plant takes, it'll be a little more than that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. cool. Check out Brooks and... Thank you so much for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me. This yeah. was fun. Yeah. And Brooks is literally here. He's in my basement. I it's the first time that. anyone on this show has been in the same room. Oh, it's, it's kind of a big deal. So that's the situation. You got a basement. I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> two, two fucking levels. You got all kinds of stuff. Got yeah. I'm going to see all this shit. On the level. <laughs> None of this shit makes any sense. This is all just nonsense.